Hello, and welcome to Central. I'm Ben Sloan, an ordained United Methodist pastor in the Western North Carolina Conference. The purpose of this podcast is to talk about issues that are central to life in Christianity. At the end of each podcast, I'll ask some questions for you to think about and reflect on, and you can do that as an individual or with other folks. I hope this will lead to good, enriching thought and conversation. This is our last week in a three-part series on love, and I'm going to go ahead and hazard the guess that this is probably going to be one of the more challenging episodes this season. I'd invite you to consider it with openness and curiosity. As our guiding scripture today, I want to look at Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. After these things, God tested Abraham. God said to him, Abraham. And Abraham said, Here I am. God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering, and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, Father? And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. When they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. I don't know if you've heard this story before, but let me say from the get-go that it's very disturbing, and it's meant to be so. I've heard the work of Jesus summarized as comforting the troubled and troubling the comforted, and that certainly seems to be the case in this scripture as well. God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, and Abraham goes to do just that. 
At the last minute, God intervenes and provides a ram to sacrifice in place of Isaac. But I don't really find that to be much of a relief. Do you? Some troubling passages in Scripture can be explained by saying the text is descriptive, not prescriptive. In other words, the Bible at times describes how people are, not how they should be. But in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 17, we hear this. By faith, Abraham, when put to the test, offered up Isaac. So not only does Abraham do this highly disturbing thing, but we're told it was an act of faith, even a seminal or an archetypal act of faith. I think on some level, if we just gloss over the story, if we take it in abstract, we can say Abraham put God before that which was most important to him, and he should be celebrated for that. But that which was most important to him was a person, his only son. God asked him to murder his only son. I'm not going to say sacrifice, because that's really a euphemism we employ to excuse Abraham. We get that sacrifice was something folks did back in the day, and I don't think it carries that much moral baggage, but I think most people would agree that murder is morally wrong. There are some folks who would want to let Abraham off the hook. I'm not going to do that because I think for us to discover anything truly meaningful about this passage, we have to take the text seriously. Apologists will say it's, it's okay what Abraham did wasn't immoral because somehow he intuited that God would provide the ram that Abraham knew he wouldn't have to sacrifice his son. Well, if that's the case, then what did Abraham's act prove? That he had a gift for theater? Because if he wasn't really willing to sacrifice his son, then it doesn't show that he was willing to put everything on the line. Or others say Abraham wouldn't have really gone through with it. But again, if he wasn't prepared to do the deed, this is just a story of play acting. Abraham must have known that what he was asked to do is wrong because he repeatedly lies to folks about his intentions. He tells his servants, even his son, that God will provide the sacrifice. And God does but not before Abraham raises the knife ready to murder his son. Abraham, in this act of faith, puts what he believes to be moral second to God's command. And that is terrifying to consider. Many people look at Christianity or religion in general as being about being a good person, a moral person. But what happens when our experience of God and our beliefs about morality seem to be intention. The example that Abraham provides seems to say that our faith in God is not subject or subordinate to our human morality. Now don't get me wrong, absent an experience of God like Abraham had, I think the pursuit of a moral life will help us to follow God, but ultimately we have to recognize the limitations of our own reason. We have to recognize that we can't put God in the narrow box of our own morality. I believe that God is moral and good, 
but the limitations of our perspective will sometimes cause us to struggle in understanding the way God expresses that goodness. I think this is all essential to understand before we come to our second scripture passage today. Uh, you get a two-for-one special today. Here is Luke 14, 25-26. Now large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brother and sister, yes, even life itself, cannot be my disciple. As I said at the beginning, this is the third episode in a series on love. And in the first episode, I talked about the four forms of love in Greek. And I said familial love, storge, is explicitly not the love that we should aspire to. Here in Luke 14 and other places, we see that made plain. I don't think Jesus meant for us to literally hate our families. I think that should be clear from the example of his life. He obviously cared deeply for his mother. His brother was one of his disciples. The idea that is just that you shouldn't put your family before God, just as with Abraham and Isaac. This is a hard truth for us. We are biologically wired to instinctually put our families first. And what's more, we think of that as the good and moral thing to do. Who doesn't think of caring for the family as being a laudable and praiseworthy thing? And it is most of the time. But what happens when we put our family above the well-being of our community, our world, and our God? I recently heard the take that the primary form of discrimination has shifted. Now discrimination and inequality persist not primarily because of how we push down or actively harm others, but rather by the favors, the good things that we do selectively for folks who are like us. Think about it. Have you, have you benefited from the kindness of others that they've shown to you throughout your life? There are countless examples of this in my own life, from big ones like receiving scholarships and internship opportunities, to little things that add up, like people giving me rides and a place to stay when I've hitchhiked. Now, what if you received even half of those opportunities that have lifted you up over the course of your life? Do you think you would still be as well off or as secure? Some of us receive more hands up throughout our lives because we know or are connected to more folks who are similarly more financially secure or in a position to give. And none of that is bad in and of itself, but it's a way that inequality persists. I believe that God desires more for us. God wants something better than the economic and racial divisions that we experience. And so if we hold familial love and love of those who are close to us above God, it can be an obstacle to building a more just and perfect world. Maybe because I have two daughters who will very soon be in school, I think about this particularly with the state of education. Because of the strength of familial love, there is almost no length some parents won't go to get their kids into what they deem to be a good school. But that leads to concentrations of wealth and resources and engaged parents at a small handful of our schools. And it leaves other schools and the kids at them with just enough to scrape by. 
We live in a wealthy country. We have enough to provide for every child. Every child should be given a good education here. But one of the obstacles to that can be the preferential love of parents. It's not that they seek to tear other schools down. They only seek to build up their own. But that still leads to inequality and segregation. I fear that the pandemic is not helping with any of this. The nature of social distancing is such that we're spending much more time and focus on our own families. That can be great, but if it causes us to forget the needs of those outside our narrow bubble, it really can also cause harm. So by all means, love your family well. But my challenge for you is that you'd also think of how you can show love and favor to folks you hardly know. Are there ways you can support the life and wholeness of people entirely unrelated to you or unlike you? This is the love we're called to. This is the love that will bring about the kingdom of heaven on earth. This is the love of God. Amen. Here are the discussion questions for the week. Let's start with a a doozy of a question. If you were in Abraham's shoes or or sandals, would you have obeyed God? Or if you lived in Palestine 2,000 years ago, do you think you could have forsaken your family to follow Jesus? There's one point in scripture where someone says to Jesus, "I'll, I'll follow you, but first let me go back and bury my deceased relative. And Jesus says, let the dead bury themselves. If that were you, could, could you skip the funeral of your, a sibling or a parent and follow Jesus? Or here's another question. Do you agree with me that not just harming others, but also selectively providing advantages can lead to injustice in a society? Why or why not? Can you think of any examples of that? And lastly, how can you concretely and meaningfully show love to people or groups you aren't connected to? Thanks again for joining me. Throughout this three-part series, I've used the music of Peter Warlock in his Capriole Suite. In this particular episode, I owe a debt to the philosopher and theologian Soren Kierkegaard. His book, Fear and Trembling, deals directly with the issue of Abraham and faith, so if this was at all engaging for you, I'd recommend the book to you. As always, if you have comments or questions, you can write me at central.umc.podcast at gmail.com. And now, let me leave you with this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, both now and forevermore. Amen.